0: Okay, so welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. Today we're gonna to be talking with Dr. James Hawkins about how we practically go about managing our Metrons, particularly in regards to knowing what is actually in our sphere of responsibility and what is outside our sphere of responsibility. So welcome to the program, Dr. Hawkins.
1: It's my pleasure to be here with you, man. I love the work that you're doing. and I just gotta say my family uses your uh, curriculum as a part of our um, homeschool study for our girls. So man, thank you for your work.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for being here. So to set the stage for this discussion, I want to share some observations. It would seem that now more than ever, people are pressured into assuming responsibility for everything they are made aware of in the world around them. People are regularly bombarded with political, societal, spiritual, cultural problems, and extreme pressure to solve all these local and global challenges. Uh, No one is designed to handle that level of responsibility other than God. And this is obviously overwhelming and it's unhealthy position to find oneself in. One of the primary driving factors for this condition folks find themselves struggling with is the scope of media they consume. That's been part of my observations So, we find ourselves aware of everything going on in the world. And at the same time, the world is pressuring and presuming upon us to take action somehow in everything that's going on. So, my observation has been that this weight of the world pressure is leading people, including believers, to struggle with absolute overload, I would describe it as. And this overload, it seems to manifest as powerlessness a sense of powerlessness seems to lead to the following types of behavior. So I see people accepting the cultural pressure to fix everything and everyone, leading to anxiety, frustration, and anger. And I see people rejecting the pressure and totally tuning out, which leads to a sense of a loss of control and a state of fear. Also a lack of uh, taking personal responsibility for their actual Metron. So in the day and age we live in, what I don't often see is a healthy understanding of what a person should take responsibility for versus what one could take on. So for the purposes of our discussion today, my goal would be that we help believers determine what is in and what is out of their Metron. As an outcome from this talk, I hope that we can give people a perspective on being responsible Metron managers, but also one that is free from anxiety. Now, that's a big challenge in our day and age. So Dr. Hawkins, can you introduce yourself and share a bit about what you do in your professional field?
1: And once again, I'm James Hawkins. I am a licensed professional counselor here in Northwest Arkansas. I particularly, I'm also a trainer in a model of therapy called Emotionally Focused couples Therapy Training. And why that, I think that's pertinent to our conversation is that we do look at um, a lot of human behavior, and particularly how do we manage the different emotional places that we find ourselves in, and particularly how do we manage it in relationships with others. So even just in some of your kind of preamble that you were saying is, we are kind of being forced to, to manage some relationships with people that are in our proximity and some that are not in our proximity. And what does that mean and how does that impact us? So that's some of what I do. I also uh, helped found an organization called Feeling Conversations, where we do try and work on how do we help the community deal with some of the divides and pains that we have across across different racial um, or ethnic lines.
0: Well, that's really good. It'd be great to have your input on all these topics. So in your work as a professional counselor with the, I believe it's the Joshua Center, uh, what are some of your observations and assessments regarding the challenges that I outlined earlier. On a conceptual level, do you see similarities and similar dynamics?
1: Oh, for sure, John. I mean, people, we are um, being um, engaged with so much information and, and, and they do such a good job with social media of knowing how to ping us and get our attention. So the metaphor I like to use for that is, you know, almost if you think about like, there's this tower and the top of the tower are these people that maybe send out a signal or a response. And what you do is you go hit the bell at the bottom of the tower to ping them to tell them you need whatever it is, like if it's a light or something like that, a light out the boat. But you just keep pinging the tower, and they constantly have to keep t- turning on the light. You're right. Attention. And it's like they can never go to sleep. They can never get a lunch. They can never take it because the, the tower just keeps getting pinged and pinged and pinged. Right now, it's with social media and our mobile devices and things. It's like the, the power is constantly being pinged, saying we need a response from you. We need a response from you. We need a response from you. You need to engage. You need to engage. You need to engage. Um, and so that is, that is so true. I love that. And then I love that the fact that human behavior is kind of predictive. The natural hmm. part of human behavior is that when, when we get pinged, particularly by someone we care about or, or even the people that we in a way should care about. Maybe as a believer, our metrics are a little bit different. It's not just the people who look like us or that are always in our proximity. Sometimes Christian God puts people in our heart, on our heart that we may not ever even meet, whether it's in prayer or, or missions or something of that nature, right? Right. And what our first human response that we want to be able to do is we want to be able to respond in some way. But then sometimes when we get our tower gets pinged over and over and over or we feel like we can't do anything, we get into this, like I love how you said it, overload, powerlessness. Well, we don't know how to handle that. God, you know, We don't know how to handle that powerlessness state or that helpless state. And then you do. You're right. You nailed it. There's only really two. There's two predictive ways that people are going to respond. And you nailed them, by the way, Jonathan. Oh, good. And we find <laughs> that even we, we, in clinical research. Some people, what we call is a deactivate. What they have to do to keep from feeling that feeling of failure or helplessness is I have to take the emotion out of the system. I have to not feel what I feel and I can't feel what you feel to make things more manageable. Hmm. Or for some people, what they do is they hyperactivate, which is you're accepting. And what they do is hyperactivate is I have to work really hard to show or put out a signal. Um, to be able to overcome this anxiety or this fear that I'm facing of uh, this maybe powerlessness that you're talking about. So I like this accepting um, the cultural pressure in a way that's probably not authentically in a very anxious type way,
2: hmm. which is
1: not really you know, attuned, but then also rejecting to turn it out. And all of those, what those are, Jonathan, is it's just my way of trying to regulate my inner world. Sure. And so sometimes that's not even really based in an empathic, empowered response. That's really me trying to regulate and manage my own personal anxiety. And even if it's meant for some good, it still might not land in one. And then it definitely doesn't do good for your longevity.
0: Yeah, that's the truth. So one of the concepts that I've heard discussed uh, among folks who work uh, with the Joshua Center, where you work, is a concept referred to, at least informally, as the circle talk. And I find that really intriguing. It's a lot of similarities to the concept of the Metron. So can you describe this concept, and would you consider it a similar concept to managing your Metron?
1: Yeah, well, you know, when I like to give homage to, who homages to, I definitely want to thank Ryan Rayner, who's our executive director. Who, um, you know, kind of built this off of some another training that he heard. And he kind of pulled this concept out. Uh, Susan Goss from Tangible Truth Ministry has done a good job of writing and talking about this as well. So, I want to thank them. That's great. And them sharing it and them passing it with me. So, when I heard about your managing your meds man, I just loved it. It, it. it does resonate for me. Um, and the idea behind the concept here really is to focus your energy on what God gave you to be responsible for. Um, and when responsible for I think there's different ways that God can bring things into your your med time or your circle and to release to him what is he, what he is responsible for. And we'll talk more about what that means you know because I want to be honest here even when it comes I do believe that God has gifted me and allowed me to see the part that's going on with us across the ethnic divide in a way that does demand a response to me. Right. But what I've done sometimes is I, I begin to take on a part of that that's not really my responsibility to where it causes me emotional pain, relational pain with my wife and my community, at least the burnout. I mean, there was a time over the summer, Jonathan, I was just really, really struggling. I felt mm. like I was in a dark cloud. Wow. A lot of, it could be like some spiritual oppression. And thankfully, you know, Ryan Raina being a good friend to me one time, he just walked and he looked at me and so he said, "You've changed." I do believe God's gifted you with a voice for this, but it is not your responsibility to fix it all.
2: Huh? That's and really I really good.
1: appreciate it, Ryan. This, you, I knew where keep us going. This is the circle, call. What's really in my circle? Own my circle. Embrace my circle. Thank God for my, what he put in my circle. But remember what's truly my circle and what's not. Um, that's really important, right? So, for example, the circle represents the responsibilities that I really have control over. This is where I will focus my energy. So, for example, I I do have my girls. I could put my girls in my circle. I love my kids. They're fresh, they're awesome, they're beautiful. I could put my marriage in my circle. I could put, I'm a therapist, and I care about my clients deeply. I I could put my clients in my circle. I train other therapists. I could put them in my circle. But here's the funny thing they're not really my, I know this is going to sound funny. I have no control truly over my kids. I could be the best possible father I could be, and uh, I don't know how what they will go and do with that. I could be the best therapist I can be, and my clients still get to choose what they want to do with their life. Yeah, for sure. I could do, I could, I could do everything right as trying to be a person who works towards ethics and conciliation or reconciliation, and people can still choose to walk away and do what they want. So what that looks like from a circle talk perspective when it saves responsibility. I'm responsible for the father that I am. Right. And then that's what I'm responsible for. My kids can do what they want, but at the end, what I need to do is what type of father am I? Am I yielded to the Lord? Am I seeking his direction? Am I praying blessings over my children? Am I living the life of Christ before them? Um, As a therapist, I'm responsible for being the best therapist I can be in every hour I have when I'm with my clients and being focused on doing the work that I'm supposed to do with them. And at the end of that hour, they do whatever they want. But if I do, if I'm focused on that responsibility in my hour, I'm probably going to increase the likelihood that they have more of likelihood of success because I'm right. focused on the part that I was supposed to be focused on. The same thing with my marriage. All I can do is be a husband. I can't be responsible for what Nicola does as a wife. Right. But I can be responsible for the husband I am. Do I love her? Do I pray for her? Am I encouraging her? Am I covering her? Am I washing her with the water of the word? I have. I can be responsible for that. I can own that.
2: It
0: reminds me of.
1: A a Stay with
0: me. Yeah, it reminds me of the scripture. You know, in as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So there's an element exactly. that does depend on you, but there's an element um, that isn't dependent on you. Even in that scripture about living in peace with all men.
1: Yeah, and that's a great one. As much as lies within you. And that's what I love about this when I think about even the business leaders that I get to work with, whether it's coaching, consulting or counseling, as much as lies within you. And so, one, I need to know what God has put in me. Right. And then even with the, the racial work, and me and you had a great talk about this, and you helped refine me. So, like, now I'm like, that's what I'm responsible for. God, you gave me a nugget through my brother, Jonathan. And I want to be a faithful steward of that. And that's mm. what I'm responsible for. So I don't feel compelled when people maybe come from a different perspective or do something that maybe I think looks destructive to this conversation. I don't have to go convert them or make them see the world the way I see it. I'll do as much as I like and use the skills that God has given me to be a communicator of the message that he's given me and a faithful steward of that message. And that's what I'm responsible for. Right. And when I mean faithful, it's not just saying the truth. Also, what I believe I've been gifted is I know how to say a truth in a way to a particular person because I can kind of read the situation and know the situation. And I want to say and share the message in a way that it, it, it can be impactful and received, And, but they might not. Yeah. And so that, I'm going to do the best I can and then it's initial choice.
0: And I think that, uh, you know, I was thinking of why it's so crucial for people to grasp this. And, uh, I think it's the, the anxiety comes in when people, don't feel that they can control the outcomes. It's not like, and, and the onus is really on people to control or take responsibility for, be faithful with what's um, in their hands to do their aspect of the equation. But if they're, really, uh, if they're really hung up on the outcomes, like you were describing, that's where I think people get um, derailed and the, and the anxiety, maybe the depression, the frustration starts to own the day.
1: That's right. I love it. I think I don't know if it's the Navy Seals or the New England Patriots two very different organizations <laughs> I know but I love what they kind of say is when you interview like so you know today's outcome and this and what do you do and all they'll come back with is do your job that's right do your job do your job if I do my job then my team has a more likelihood of success of succeeding I can't control the outcome but what I can't control is do my job do my job do my job
0: right Absolutely. And so what are you know, if someone's listening to this, and they're wondering, how do I assess myself here on this, they might be hearing something that's resonating, you know, what are some indicators someone listening to the discussion could look for in their own lives to reveal if they're functioning poorly with this, uh, this management principle, so to speak, whether you call managing your Metron or the uh, (laughs) circle talk, or you know, this aspect of, of delineating between what's in your hands, what's not? Like what would a person thinking about this, uh, you know, what would the, a flag be that would be raised?
1: That's really, that's a good question. Um, and the first answer that comes to my mind is when you feel these shifts in your emotion, whether you become really irritable or you feel yourself feeling defeated or really down or super stressed, one, you have to be able to pay attention. I think that's a, a discipline we have to remember in Christianity. I believe that God divined our bodies to be in tune with him and the world around us. And sometimes when we can't even come up with the words or we're not even completely consciously aware, our bodies is, he's built our bodies to always be in connection with what's going on around us. And so sometimes even just paying attention to those physical sensations and paying able mm. to catch, hey, whoa, well, what's going on here? Well, I, I just keep feeling this heaviness in my chest. I'm clenching my fist. My jaw's locked. What's going on in my life here? And then that's where you ask the question. So you notice the physical sensation. Say, ask yourself the question. What's going on? Hmm. Or if I find myself getting, I'm trying to do a project with at work where I'm leading a team and I'm just staying irritated, irritated, irritated. What is is bringing up that response? What's triggering the response? Hmm. And being able to say, is it because there's something where I'm expecting something from somebody or I feel like for me particularly, it's something's not happening the way I think it should happen. And that's what gripped my attention and that's okay in a way, but then what's the meaning of the message I make of it? Is it this where I'm projecting all out to other people? You're not doing this, you're not doing that or the outcome's not going the way I want. And I'm doing this story because what we can do to people is it's safe to process the story outside of us first is look at what's in us and what I want people to do instead of being so focused on just what's outside that matters. We Mm -hmm. want to catch that what outside us is kind of triggering us, or maybe sometimes it comes from the inside, but then I want to know is, but what's happening in me, right? What's going on as I see that, what is it bringing up in me and what is it I'm looking for?
2: Hmm.
1: So that's one that can help you. And so like with my girls, like it's like I can focus on them like, Oh my goodness. They're not filling out college applications. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And, and, and then it, and it, sometimes it could be like, I'm failing as a father. I didn't do this enough. I should have made them study more. I should have given them more rigorous study hours. And this, wait a minute. It's, I'm basing that on the outcome versus, wait a minute. God, hold on a second. Have I spent time with my girls? What have you been speaking to me about their hearts? Hmm. Ah, I haven't even been praying for. Right. I haven't even been connecting with them and talking to them. So then I can go focus on that. Another thing is when you find yourself just spinning your wheels and getting nowhere, no traction. Right. That's another good indicator
2: hmm.
1: that maybe I'm focused out there, but there's something God needs to be doing in me. Because the, with a leader, the beautiful part about being a leader is, is if the leader can get traction within themselves, that there's, a, I think, a mantle or a blessing of, a, of, of an effect that God has given you, like your Metron, right? right? That when that leader gets that traction and they're focused in them, then that's where I think the results get produced from. Um, and let it be focused there first and foremost. So if I refine myself as a therapist, then I'm more likely to have success as a therapist. Now, success is not my goal in the sense of it's me managing and and refining my process because that's the more likelihood for my clients to have success. Right. When I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as the leader in that room.
0: Yeah. When you mentioned process, that brings something to mind, I think is a good point. Um, I think, you know, people really judge themselves so to speak or a situation solely based on an an outcome versus really looking at the health of the process. And you you know, you (laughs) could have, the wrong outcome, so to speak, or what you didn't want to see happen happens at the end of something. But in the process, it could have been 95% handled totally right, very righteous, filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, be actually a very good thing in and of itself. But then when the end result doesn't go to plan, uh, it almost like disqualifies or erases the benefit of actually a good process. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I love that. That's, I hope your listeners really grab what you, that that's the nugget to take away.
0: That's really, don't
1: be so uh, like when you're so outcome focused and you can't even take in even that's another one you can't even take in what's happening in the moment. Some of the people I've seen as really good at whatever craft it is that it is, is because they studied their processes really well and they've refined the process and then the
0: outcomes happen because of the process. Let me bring up this idea of boundaries. Um, So I've come to a place in life where I really see the importance of knowing, I would say knowing the edges or the boundaries of my Metron or my circle. And one indicator of this is that I recognize uh, honestly that I am not responsible for the world. I'm responsible for my obedience in my limited space or my circle or my Metron like we've been talking about. And I would suggest that this is not only the key to keeping anxiety out of my life, but it's Mm -hmm. actually a key to being able to succeed with what is inside. And it's almost like anxiety is the, uh, the poison pill, so to speak, that ruins the entire equation. And, you know, I've read and I've heard, and I've seen a lot of anxiety that's at work, especially during COVID, all these challenges we've been facing. Um, And, would you see that a similar way that this is kind of a, a golden key is keeping anxiety out of the equation?
1: Part of anxiety that, that triggers me is when, because, you know, the essence of anxiety is that it's a future-based fear of something that you expect could go wrong or could happen. Hmm. So here's what's the problem there. You're no longer in the present. Going to what the great nugget you just gave us. Hmm. You're not in your present process. And because you're not in your present process, guess what? there's nothing you you're not doing anything productive for your future outcome. Anyway, it
0: comes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it almost way. becomes
1: a self-defeating cycle. Huh? Yeah. Yep. So I, so I love that. So I think it's more of not even just keeping the anxiety out, but if God allowed that anxiety, sometimes maybe it's something that you are concerned about, right? That God wants to bring to your attention. That's great. Or maybe it's something you're worried about that you shouldn't be worried about in the future. But that is like, okay, right now in this present moment, what does this mean for me? That's really good. Right now. I love the phrase right here. Is this right here, right now, what is required of me?
0: So there is a book out there called The Velvet Covered Brick. It's out of print. But I want to read a little section of this and just reflect on what the author says. I think it ties in really well uh, about talking about anxiety, but also this concept of healthy borders, boundaries, edges, and knowing what's in and what's out. What's interesting is this book was written in 1973. And if you read it, uh, you would think they wrote it last year for the season we live in. It is so relevant. It's been formative in my life ever since I was a young uh, teenager. My dad had me read it, and it's been impactful ever since. But I really like this, uh, this section that he works on with this. And the author is Howard E. Butt. He's a part of the family that founded the HEB Grocery Stores in Texas. And uh, he passed away recently, but I've always been an admirer of his work. So in his book, in a section in his book, The Velvet-Covered Brick, he's dealing with social guilt and anxiety. And he says, you walk the path of your own obedience and no one else's. On a side note, <laughs> I, I always tell people "If you know, it's the most important book that I've ever read next to the Bible. So if you want to read it, you can find out of print copies. Um, so to further illustrate the concept he has an interesting take and perspective on the parable of the good Samaritan. So I just want to read a few sections of this as a great illustration, a different take on the parable of the good Samaritan. So he says, take the good Samaritan, Jesus famous hero from the discrimination's minority race. The good Samaritan bound up a broken traveler's wounds and cared for him after his roadside attack by thieves The priest and the Levite from a superior religion had passed to the traveler by. The Good Samaritan was Jesus' answer to our question today Who is my neighbor? Or what is in, I would say. So we could say that this parable is also instructive on how we determine what is in and out of our circles. And the author goes on to share a unique perspective on this parable that I felt was particularly helpful for our topic in this discussion. Howard writes, The Good Samaritan leaves me personally feeling relieved. Why? Social guilt. The widespread phenomena of social guilt paralyzes us today. The Good Samaritan story tells me that I am not responsible for every traveler on every highway in the world. I may or may not be called into the highway patrol work full time. I may or may, I may or may not be called to organize red cross units for Jericho Road. I may or may not be called to sociologic studies of highway gangs in greater Jerusalem's urban ghettos. My responsibility is to be a good neighbor in the when, where and what I am. He says accusations about the when, where and what I am not do not come from the Jesus who told this story. The real guilt of Jesus' hearers was enough. He did not accuse them of not taking responsibility for the Palestinians' crime wave. So it's also refreshing to recognize that we're not loaded down with burdens and guilt by God. my goodness, man, that's something, because
1: I like this part where it's like, um, like we talked about the guilt, because even for me, that makes me think about when I say felt compassion because guilt is just about me personally in my own introspect of me feeling bad and I think in today's society people can't try and use guilt um, can guilt be some good like I do need to know recognize if I've done something wrong or if I'm ignoring something but then there's also this point for me I like to evoke compassion and I think about the leper who you know touched Jesus and he says master if you will you can make me clean and in some translations it says and Jesus was moved with compassion, and then with compassion, this compassion is to be with. And some of that is indifferent going to the metron concept. God just put some things supernaturally in some of our metrons. That's just amazing. That I like some things I was, like. I would have never thought about that. Hmm. But I am so glad that God allowed you to see that and you shared that with me. Um, you know, there's some things that God put in my metron that are going to be different that other people would see. That I'm going to be moved towards. And we need to know that. And that's what I like about your book. You need to know what that metron is and honor that metron, hone that metron, hmm. that process that God has put there for you, that particular dispensation, I think, of compassion or grace or insight, and refine that. But one thing I think in the circle talk is, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead, is no, right. I'm not going to let anyone force anything into my metron that God has not given me. Because then if I take that into my metron, then who's going to? help carry what he already put in mind.
0: Yeah, it's speaking, it speaks directly to the thoughts no, in this book.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and now there are times when it's like, man, I can't be, that's not for me to do. But there are sometimes it's like, but I feel do feel a different compassion. And what do you want me to do with that right here, right now, guy? And it might just be, yeah, give a donation. Sure. Or even with the good Samaritan story. I might not get in, involved with the Palestinian gang, uh, gang cartel or whatever, or breaking down <laughs> the, the Palestinian gang, but maybe God just allows me to be that person that engages Samaritan and what he needs me to do. That Samaritan right now is in your message. I brought you into contact with that particular Samaritan.
0: Yeah. It's good. The author goes on to say the story of the good Samaritan teaches me responsible neighborliness, not sick self-destruction. It teaches appropriate service, not social suicide. It teaches me the call of a limited locale, the providence of personal proximity. Social guilt is solved by personal obedience. Jesus's good neighbor did the good under his nose. I love the term "the providence of personal proximity." That's just a great say, a great mm. statement. <laughs> wow,
1: that's I guess that's what I was just kind of talking
0: about. That, yeah, the personal proximity. I like that. Yeah, it's it's it resonates perfectly with that, and it's really stood out to me this insight and understanding because it really allows people to see their scope or their boundaries. You know, to understand that there is scope and there is boundaries in our metrons and our circles and our life. And that that's not wrong. And and you don't have to have anxiety about not knowing that or that you feel that the whole world is your boundaries and you're responsible for everything. And if something doesn't go the way you think it should, then you just, you know, have a break over that. (laughs) That's just not God's design. And I think part of the benefit of it too, recognizing those edges, is that it brings us freedom from guilt. And I think from most anxiety has been a personal observation
1: and I've been paralyzing guilt and anxiety. That's key. I think is paralyzing yeah. guilt and anxiety. Yeah. Cause if you can mobilize that guilt and anxiety towards something that's productive and that's great. But when it's paralyzing, that's a whole different story. Yeah. Man, but I like that social guilt is followed by personal obedience.
0: And understanding what's our responsibility so we can live effectively uh, it's good to know that God has certain things that are in and certain things that are out, and that's okay. It's okay that certain things are in and out. And I found that at different times in our life, uh, certain things are in and then later on they're out, or the other way around. They're not in and then they're in later. <laughs> it kind of, there's a lot mm-hmm. of ebb and flow in different seasons of life. And I think for me, learning to be okay with that has been a real breakthrough.
1: Hey, can I just say, even on that one, like even with the example of I like that like kind of like on that one, like talking about social, like, cause well, I love how he broke it down. Like when you get into these specific, like the Palestinian crime wave, or whatever. But what we know is all in our medicine as given by God, like even Jesus, what are the two greatest commands? No one can escape this. This is in everybody's medicine to love your neighbor as you love yourself.
2: Yeah.
1: That's in everybody's medicine. But now what does that mean? There's so many ways that could mean, right? Whether it's human trafficking, social justice, or, I don't know uh, working with the, the working with poverty, food deserts, clean water in different countries. You know, um, so I keep, that doesn't mean I have to do each one of those to be a good person. That's the social guilt one. I was that, that he was talking about, yeah. right? But in it's in but in my personal or my providential proximity, I can't ignore that. It's, I do have the duty to love my neighbor that I come into contact with as I love. My,
0: yeah, what's, he says, like, what's right, the good that's right under your nose, that's obvious. And you, uh, you can take damn responsibility damn for damn that. Damn. <laughs> that's so good. Well, any other thoughts on these topics as we wrap up here? This has been a really good uh, talk on this concept of circle and metron and responsibility. I think it's really going to liberate some people and empower some people.
1: Yeah, I think I just want to say once again, give God what is God and then be willing to ask him for the guidance and the grace to do what he has called me to do, to be responsible for. And that, like you said, that providential personal proximity. Right. Yeah. You know, um, And then also be, once again, don't let other people put things in your circle that aren't yours. That's God's job. And then also, also here, it's just so, like I think it is liberating. Part of the liberating is a listeners, a practical thing they can do is just go draw a circle. And really, right now, just just for a moment, just write down what you believe is yours and then ask God, really, like, God, help me. Are these things really are in my circle that are, are these really my circle? And help me refine what that means. Because when I typically ask people this, they're going to put their family, they're going to put their marriage, they're going to put their career. And I'm going to say, let's break that down. (laughs) Can you really be responsible for your family? Or what does that mean? James needs to be the best father and husband that he can be as led by God. If God gives them the grace and the guidance to do that, that's what I can be responsible for. Um, so just being willing to do that and do that exercise and invite God to really show you what that figure circle or your Metron needs to look like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time, Dr. Hawkins, and thank you for investing in our audience as we seek to equip people to become successful Metron managers. I think this will really help folks going forward. Thanks again. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.